The University of South Carolina student government was shaken by news of a constitutional challenge on Wednesday, February 5th. Elections Commissioner Bennett Lunn and Speaker Pro Tempore Brandon Patrick filed a letter of appeal alleging that Speaker of the Senate Davis Latham exerted undue influence on the Elections Commission nomination process. They claimed that the student government codes were violated when Speaker Latham sent out an email to the full body of student senators. The email urged them to pressure student body president Luke Rankin to withdraw former Speaker of the Senate Patrick Ellis's nomination for the position of Deputy Elections Commissioner. The Constitutional Council allowed this challenge to proceed to a public hearing, which took place on Tuesday, February 18th at 7 p.m. Many students normally do not follow the daily proceedings of student government, but this time will likely be no different. I'm Sophie Kaler. And I'm Samia Kamandor. And you're listening to Last Week, This Week. Samia and I spoke with the person at the center of this entire saga, former Speaker of the Senate, Patrick Ellis. Patrick, thank you so much for sitting down with us. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. We just wanted to play a quick game with you to, you know, warm us up and really get to know each other. On the count of three, let's all state who we voted for last spring in the student body president elections, okay? One, two, three. Jacob Swinton. Listeners, if you recall, Patrick Ellis not only created the position of Speaker of the Senate, but he also ran for student body president and lost. Now, if I recall, the top two candidates who participated, who also ran for student body president, participated in a runoff election. Um, and if I recall, Patrick, you were not one of those two candidates. Yes, that is correct. And moreover, it's because I did not get as many votes as the other people, thereby meaning that the people liked them better than they liked me. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. so people don't like you that much. Oh, well, you know, relative to the others, no, they don't. They, okay. they might like me fine, but they like others better. That makes a lot of sense, thank you. Now, if I recall, Davis Latham, your former running mate in that campaign, not only made it to his runoff election, but he also won his runoff to serve in his current position. When you two ran together, Patrick, do you think he sabotaged your run for student body president, or did you just fail to make it to the runoff on your own? I, I think I failed on my own merits. Congratulations. Thank you. We decided to take Patrick on a trip down memory lane. Mr. Ellis ran for student body president last year, alongside Speaker Davis Latham, as a member of a four-person ticket. We played him his campaign video, released almost exactly one year ago, and in that moment, we realized just how much can change in one year. changed between the Davis you knew then and the Davis you know now? Probably a lot of things. You know, it's been a year. He, he's now the speaker, so that was one thing that changed. Yeah, I don't know. 
it's, it's just tough to know sometimes. You know, you, you think you know people, and then it, it turns out it don't be the way you think it is. Mm, very well said. While his running mate Davis took over his position as speaker, Patrick found himself without a position on student government for the first time since his freshman year. In the fall, President Luke Rankin nominated him for the role of elections commissioner, but Patrick found himself at odds with the student senate. When I was nominated for elections commissioner, uh, about two weeks later, a bill went into the student senate, um, and this bill removed all authority of the elections commissioner to appoint the elections commission to hear elections violations and other various things that the elections commissioner had previously done for you know, the entire long and, and very storied history of student government. And then suddenly they would not do it anymore. I texted Patrick Green asking him, huh, I kind of have some concerns with some of these things. What, what do you think about this? Do you think this could be an issue? And after we discussed that, I fortuitously had my interview a couple of days later and I was asked explicitly what my thoughts were on this legislation that I had already told people I do not like. And so in the spirit of an interview where you tell the truth, I told them that I did not like the legislation, but that if they passed it, I was not a legislator and I would follow it to the letter. I was found unfavorable. I was dominated after I was found unfavorable for the position of elections commissioner. Bennett Lund was confirmed as the new elections commissioner, and I was nominated for a spot on Bennett Lund's elections commission. I was not interviewed for the first position I was nominated for, and so I was nominated again, and I still never received an interview for that position either. In an address to the Student Senate, Chairman Patrick Green of the Judiciary Committee said the following. One must ask for any individual who disagrees so vehemently with the changes to the Elections Commission, what motivations, other than ill-intended, would they have for the Elections Commission and the student body? And that is regarding you, Mr. Ellis. How would you respond to that? Uh, well, my first question would be, what possible nefarious intentions would someone have to have to want to be on the Elections Commission? It seems to me that, you know, there are a lot better ways to be nefarious than to be on the Elections Commission, particularly when it has little to no bearing, and I would literally fill the spot that they needed. All I really have is just a wealth of information that people can use. I, I know the codes like the back of my hand. You know, I'm pre-law, which you know, it's a pretty hard major. In case anyone was wondering, oh, just, yeah, I did, bet. can we just put that out for the record that pre-law yes. is a very hard major? Certainly, yeah. I was also pre-law until I recently dropped it because it was too hard. I'm so sorry. It's it's okay. It happens to everyone. You know, yeah. I, there there have been times where I've lied awake at night with you know the absolute strain and stress of my academic burdens just weighing away and gnawing at me like some kind of parasite almost, but you know, I, I've gotten through it. And so, you know, and anyways, um, no, I, I have no nefarious intentions with wanting to be on the elections commission. I just want to help the student body and see elections be free and fair. But I, I guess that's not what everyone else wants. And that's okay. Patrick's claim seemed plausible. It did seem possible that someone could simply want to serve on the elections commission with no nefarious intentions. However, I wanted to put this claim to the test. I decided to pose Patrick with a simple question. Is it possible to do harm on the Elections Commission? Imagine, what would it be like if we were on the Elections Commission? What is the worst havoc we could wreak? And what better person to ask than someone who knows that role, as you said, like the back of your hand? That's correct. What is the worst thing that someone on the Elections Commission could accomplish? Literally not planning things. That would probably be the worst thing you could do. Let's say you just wanted to wreak absolute havoc and you would just do the opposite of the good thing in every instance. Mm -hmm. 
So the first thing you could do would be not schedule a candidate debate. Oh, God forbid. Yeah, exactly. It's always so well attended and, mm -hmm. you know, we're very, very widely circulated and all the attendees are undecided voters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in an election such as these where people base their decisions based on the quality of policies people put out, you can't take away the opportunity mm -hmm. for these candidates to showcase their policies. That would be absolutely detrimental. Absolutely. So you could not do that. And then another good idea would to be not have an inauguration. And then so the elections would essentially be meaningless at that point because mm -hmm. you just have a dictatorship, which might be the best course of action. Other things you could potentially do. So really the gist of what the Elections Commission does these days is they put together the posting regulations. These are very important as they tell the candidates where they can and cannot put up their flyers. So if you're on the Elections Commission, maybe you could not do that and candidates would not know where to post their flyers oh, no. and it would just be chaos like the Wild West. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. You know, a real fun thing, I think, would be if you put the wrong posting regulations for the wrong buildings, and so people were just willy-nilly putting their flyers everywhere on campus. And, you know, you could create real havoc. Perhaps it would be tough to recycle in some buildings. So, you know, when there, people are trying to dispose of your improperly placed flyers, they wouldn't be able to recycle them. And then, in a way, you'd contribute to the death of the earth. So perhaps you could do quite a bit of evil on this Elections Commission. Well, we wish Mr. Lund the best of luck with that difficult position. I can't imagine the, you know, stress burden he's under. Evidently, I can't either. Clearly, there is a possibility that Patrick Ellis could have decided that he wanted to serve on the Elections Commission to send our planet into an irreversible climate apocalypse. But what would his motivation be? To figure out the answers to this mystery, we need to go back to his history with key players in student government, specifically, Let's focus on one of his more controversial actions from last fall, a constitutional challenge. In the wake of everything that happened with my first interview for Elections Commission and the subsequent commentary about how, you know, why does he dislike it? Why would he want to be Elections Commissioner even though there's this really horrible bill up that changes so many things and is probably unconstitutional? I decided I was going to challenge it in the student government codes. We'd never seen a good old-fashioned challenge of whether or not legislation was constitutional. And so I decided to kind of prove my point that this is bad legislation. I would challenge it. And so I did. I, I went through the process by myself. I had no extra help. I had no counsel. It was me versus the big student government machine strapped with lawyers and so many pre-law majors. Oh, and yeah. The student body's attorney general it was just me against the big machine. Were there any senators who expressed their support for your cause, or was everyone against what you were doing? Well, I, I mean, it was universally hated by everyone in the Senate. They, they saw it as an affront to them that uh, I believe it was characterized by the powers that be in the Student Senate that I was attacking the integrity and authority of the Student Senate. Were you doing that? No, I would never. That's why we're having you on the show, is right, to really you. acknowledge your sacrifice here. Mm -hmm. What uh, Everything that you've done to represent the student body, to take on this cause, to mm -hmm. fight this machine on your own. Absolutely. It's incredibly empowering to say, wow, if one man can do that, if he can take on that machine, maybe someday I, a lowly STEM major, will be able to do that myself. Especially when virtually no one at the university is even paying attention to what you're doing. I mean, you're doing this out of your duty yeah. to uphold this student government constitution and not because people are paying attention to you 
Yeah, so you, you know, the neutral observer would say that it would be a waste of time or that it was kind of stupid on my part to care so much about student government, considering that I cared about the things that happened in student senate. Uh, people should, you know, maybe they should just say, you know, shut up, boomer. You should just move on, right? You know, when no one cares and no one reads and, you know, maybe the neutral person would have said, Patrick, maybe you should just move on. But, you know, I, I kept fighting because I, I did owe it to the students to secure their rights that they don't care about. I also wanted to ask if you wanted to name drop specific people that make you angry in the student. <laughs> <laughs> no one makes me angry because I don't get angry because that is sinful. Okay. But, uh, you know, they're, they're just, there's no people that irk me. There are behaviors that irk me. Like what? Boot licking. Boot licking. Yes. So can you talk about some examples of times that you've seen boot licking from specific people with names added? I don't think that's that's best, right? I think everyone should check the tapes. Check the tapes. You, you should pour through the data, read the transcript, you know, things like that. At the time of this challenge, you were a layperson, right? You held no governmental office. That's correct. I was I was a concerned member of the people. I felt that I would come and champion for the common student who reads through student government legislation religiously. I, I think that's an underrepresented group um, on campus. How did you cope with retirement? It was good. I developed some nice new hobbies like uh, reading and enjoying college. Those were things that I had not really had time to do most okay. of my uh, college experience, so I, I did that instead. Yeah, I actually came up with some retirement hobbies for you if you're interested. Is golf on there? You oh. should try again and put golf on there. Okay, golf. Okay, that sounds fun. Pottery. I don't know. I don't See, I've actually tried pottery. My grandma made me take class. I wasn't very good at it. Uh -huh. uh, I don't have the finesse. Oh. You know, one time I was once told that I was more forced than finesse by a judge at a mock trial competition, and I feel like that encapsulates my identity pretty well. No, I'd say so too. This interview, definitely more forced than finesse. Well, you're the one conducting it, so what's that say about you? I, I'm willing to claim that identity as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's nice. Did you want to hear the rest of my hobbies or no? No, please continue. Okay, you know those painting classes where they give you like wine and then you paint? Yeah, I did one of those too with my grandma also. I wasn't good at it either. Yeah, it seems like I should be hanging out with your grandma instead of you right now. Well, she's very fun and more cool, so. Yeah, I'd love to meet her. So that really ties into Was that all of them? I mean, I just... Was that all the hobbies? It just sounds like your grandma and I would get along better than you and I would, so... Well, that's I, probably fair. I just wanted to save the hobbies for stuff that your grandma and I could do together. My grandma's a little bit cooler than you, so I don't know. Like, it's okay. I, I want to learn from her. I will, I will be her apprentice and learn from her, the master. Now I feel kind of threatened, and I don't like it. I can't help but go back to that interaction. It almost seems to be a metaphor, encapsulating everything about Patrick Ellis's relationship with the Student Senate. He felt kind of threatened by this piece of legislation. He didn't like what he was seeing, so he filed a constitutional challenge and defended himself in a court of law. Over and over again, we see this pattern from Mr. Ellis, this desire to call out injustice, not rooted in ill intention, no, but instead, in the opposite reasons. He calls out these actions simply because he thinks it's the right thing to do. While Patrick did not get confirmed as the elections commissioner in the fall, his desire to serve the people didn't disappear. 
Just a few weeks ago, President Rankin again nominated Patrick to the commission, and it was up to the Judiciary Committee to interview him a second time. But Patrick would soon find that it wouldn't be easy. We've seen in a Daily Gamecock article that you were emailed at 10.27 a.m. on Saturday, February 8th about scheduling an interview. That's correct. But you were evidently out of town that weekend? Yes, I was in Richmond, Virginia at a mock trial competition. Would you say on the weekend of February 8th in Richmond, Virginia, would you say on the record for our listeners that you had a good time? I, I would say I had a great time, actually. I would, I would say it was very fun. It was, uh, but it was also a lot of hard work. You know, you know, mock trial is no game. You'd think it would be with the word mock in the name. You would think that, but that's actually not the case. And as, as you know, and I've, you know, pre-lost kind of hard, and it, it hurts the body and, and the soul, I would say. But mm-hmm. I have fun in my work, in what I do, and I'm passionate about it. And for that reason, yes, I would say that I had fun that weekend. So that's what you were doing between 10.27 a.m. and 6.33 p.m. when you did respond to the email eventually? Well, I responded to the email at 6.33 p.m., about approximately uh, seven minutes after I got done with the competition that day. Um, sadly for me, you know, I was neglectful and wasn't checking my student email immediately after. Mm-hmm. Um, but those seven minutes, you know, will wear on me for the rest of my life. Perhaps I could have gotten something scheduled had I responded seven minutes sooner. Responding to the interview request on Saturday night, Patrick informed the Judiciary Committee that he would not be available until midnight on Sunday when he arrived back in Columbia. The committee, evidently not interested in a late-night interview, stated that there was no time between midnight Sunday and the Student Senate meeting on Wednesday in which four members of the committee would be available to interview Patrick. By the Senate meeting on Wednesday, the committee deemed Patrick unfavorable. It's really interesting because I didn't get to interview, so I later learned if you watch the live stream, there's a bunch of comments that are just factually wrong that I didn't respect their time and I didn't show up for my interview and just a bunch of other things that were just like verifiably false pretty easily. There's this cool thing that I've learned from my time in student government that when you don't really care, you just vote the way everyone else is voting. Uh, There were some pretty passionate speeches uh, against me. And when Bennett Lund's not allowed to speak on my behalf, who, you know, obviously he's elections commissioner, so he has a lot of power, um, as we've discussed. Certainly. You know, that probably would have helped my odds, but uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I lost out to the democratic process, which is okay. I'm used to it. Yeah, I mean, as a white man, I can't imagine what you've gone through. At the Senate meeting on February 12th, Judiciary Committee Chairman Patrick Green told the Student Senate that the committee found Patrick Ellis to be unfavorable yet again. However, just a week before, Speaker Davis Latham sent an email to the Student Senate urging the Senators to put pressure on President Rankin to withdraw Patrick's nomination from the Commission. The next day, the Constitutional Council received a challenge from Elections Commissioner Bennett Lund and Speaker Pro Tempore Brandon Patrick alleging that Speaker Davis Latham exerted undue political influence in his email. I think it's kind of important to remember that, weirdly, I'm not like a party in this. This was filed on my behalf by pro tempore Patrick and Commissioner Lund, uh, I, I guess is a friendly thing for them to do and defend my honor. So thank you to them. It's interesting to me because the provision says 
Members of the executive branch shall not exert undue political influence over the Elections Commission. And so, to me, as just a layman, but a pre-law layman at that, mm -hmm. um, well, there's, there's a couple components there. So there's executive branch. Well, the speaker is clearly an executive office, right? So that that's, seems to check that. That means that the speaker is liable for this, right? Undue political influence. That kind of is the question. That's what we'll find out Tuesday. What is undue political influence? I believe that the allegation is, and again, this is just an allegation, you know, there's a hard copy of the email that exists and is printed out and is publicly available for all to see, but this is again an allegation, is that Davis Latham sent an email to the entire student senate telling them of a quote-unquote concerning development regarding my nomination to the Elections Commission and urging them to ask President Rankin to revoke my nomination so that they can focus on serious candidates for the Elections Commission. I'm very serious. I, I take my life very seriously. You know, I would say I'm the most serious person I've ever met. Mm -hmm. um, so that was sad to see. What would you define undue political influence as? Sending an email to the entire student senate asking them to block someone's nomination. I would also say it's probably undue political influence to, when you don't have predetermined political influence, anything outside of that is undue, I would say. And so to do anything beyond what I think is the job of the speaker, which is to preside over hearing nominations and hand it over to certain committees is undue. It says in the code specifically that the president has to attach a letter of support, so that seems to me to be due political influence, right? Whereas in the speaker codes, there is no such provision that says they must support or outright reject and urge people reconsider at pulling the nomination of a candidate. Therefore, I would say that's different and undue. Tuesday, February 18th, the day of the hearing had finally arrived. Sophie and I walked into the small classroom to listen both sides argue their case. Patrick settled in the back of the room to watch, this time as an outsider. The three justices filed in. The plaintiffs argued that Speaker Latham exerted undue influence by attempting to prevent a candidate from being put on the commission and infringing upon the Senate's role to consider a candidate. It is more likely than not that Speaker Latham, in sending a letter to the Senate, exerted undue political influence on the Elections Commission. Speaker Latham represented himself, arguing that the plaintiffs had the burden of proving undue influence. He also reminded the Constitutional Council that his email never asked the Commission for any changes in their activities, nor was the letter sent to the Election Commission directly. I wrote this letter on Tuesday, February 4th, the day before Senate, and the day before Patrick Ellis was to be referred to the committees to provide context to a body which I presided over. A letter which, while written out of frustration, never mentioned the Commissioner or any member of the Commission, a letter which wasn't even sent to the Commission or the Commissioner. I'm not here to debate if this letter was effective as a leader or if it came off as immature. I'm here to make clear that it is not a violation of the student government codes and could not be an attempt to influence the Elections Commission. Many, including the Chief Justice, were frustrated that Patrick Ellis remained a focus of this particular hearing. Patrick Ellis never took a note of office, was never approved by the Senate. I'm going to stop right here. This case is not a case about Patrick Ellis. I want us to 
The Attorney General and the defendant made their closing arguments, and the hearing came to a close soon after. this challenge filed on your behalf, this whole process of being in student government, rising the ranks, having this absolute fall from grace last year, and now having to pick yourself up again and still striving to be a dedicated USC student and to work for the best of student government, what do you want the listeners to know about what all this means? Well, I mean, for me, it, it's kind of been a, a sad reversion, right? I, I was the kid who applied for freshman council and wanted to be in student government freshman year, and I wasn't picked. And, you know, I saw a lot when I joined student government that it's clicky. It's, it's about who you know, who you went to high school with, and what connections you have. And so when I got involved in student government and the variety of ways that I did, that's what I wanted to change. And I feel like in my time as speaker, that's exactly what we did. We made it a student government and at least in my portion of the world a student senate that you know you stood on your own merits if you were good and dedicated to the student body and you cared and would come to meetings you could be a part of student government and now it's disheartening to see that you know student senate comprised of people that i supported or endorsed or mentored in many cases you know have brought it back to exactly the way it was one that excludes and doesn't include it's sad to see Especially when, if it's happening to me, it can happen to every student, and it has. And that's unfortunate. So I hope that tomorrow's hearing will be a step back in the right direction towards a student government that is open to every student, not just the ones that know about it and care about it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute delight. On Wednesday evening, a Daily Gamecock article publicly broke the news of the ruling. The Constitutional Council found that Speaker of the Senate Davis Latham's email did constitute undue influence. The Council found that his email violated Section 4110D1, and unless an elected member of student government decides to file articles of impeachment, Speaker Latham will face no consequences. Cases like this show how important it is to pay attention to these issues. Caring about student government means fighting for what you believe in, fighting to have your voice heard, fighting for a seat at the table. When people come forward with these constitutional challenges, even if other people don't like what they're doing, these cases still serve an important purpose. Yes, these cases may set legal precedents, but more importantly, they set social precedents. These constitutional challenges show people that even in student government, an insular realm that a campus of 30,000 people is almost certainly not paying attention to, you can still do what's right. In the case of Lund Patrick v. Latham, you might even win. Patrick Ellis's story, a story that we have humbly relayed to you, listeners is a story of triumph, a story of hard work, dedication, and proof 
that student government can once again become a meritocracy. For last week, this week, I'm Sophie Kaler. And I'm Samia Komondor. Thanks for joining us. Last Week, This Week was created, written, and produced by Samia Komondor and Sophie Kaler. Special thanks to Patrick Ellis for being our featured guest on the show, and to Vosco for allowing us to feature music from their EP, Sweet Baby. Support for this podcast comes from the Cooper Production Studios and from listeners like you.